You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. Hey, Matt. Hey, Adam. All right, so we are on day 35 and 36 of your reading through the Bible plan. Yep. And uh, we are getting close to the end of Job. Yeah, we are. Chapters 33 through 37. Yes. Uh, We have Elihu. 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 Elihuat. Elihu. Sweet little Elihu. And he's the surprise guest. Right. That wasn't listed at the beginning. Comes up, uh, just gets introduced not too long ago. The youngest guy. And he's kind of bringing a little different spirit to it. He's got some righteous anger. Mm -hmm. But he's not as, doesn't seem as accusatory towards Job. Although he does, he is mad. He, yeah, so it's interesting. So in our previous reading, we got his introduction, and he is he's upset with Job, right. and he's upset with Job's friends because they have inaccurately presented God to Job, and right. Job seems to be asking or making accusations against God, which Elihu is finding offensive. Yeah. And so Elihu is going to assert God's justice, and focus a little more. Like, he does tell Job, basically, hey, Job, shut up. Mm-hmm. Just be quiet. Like, stop trying to defend yourself. You're not greater uh, than God. And then let me tell you who God is. And so in chapter 33, um, he rebukes Job, tells him to be quiet. Chapter 34, he's getting into more of the truths about God. Yeah, so his... So the, the friends were trying to accuse Job and basically trying to find a solution to Job's problem. Right. Which was, Job, you must have sinned, therefore this is what happened, this is why you're in this mess, and so let's just figure out the sin mm-hmm. and then and then uh, apologize for it, repent for it, and then God will bless you. Like, it's just a very mechanical exchange. Right. And it's like, let's just get to the bottom of the problem, let's not mourn with you or anything, let's solve it. And then when Job is like, no, that's not what's happening... They get offended at Job and get angry and start making crazy accusations against Job. Right. Elihu is going, look, we're not here to solve. There's not this mechanical like relationship with God and man. Mm-hmm. Job, I don't care what your sin was or if there was, but what I'm nervous about, what was angering me right now, is you questioning God's actions. Mm-hmm. Like, why are you questioning who God is and what his actions are against you? Right. I, I agree. And I think Elihu, at most, the worst thing Elihu does is just not allow Job to lament. Mm-hmm. That was, But he's not accusing Job or misrepresenting God like the other guys. Right. And so um, it reminds me, though, there have been times in my life where I had righteous indignation. And when I was younger, especially, I remember... Um, Someone told me their mom was really sad. They went away to college, and so the mom just would watch videos. And I said, well, she shouldn't watch videos. She should pray. Mm. That would help. You know. And I remember then everyone thought I was a jerk for saying that. And I'm like, what? What did I say? But I look back, and I realize, oh, it, it, it's, it's probably technically true. Right. You're, you're mourning the loss of a child, not dying, but just going away to school. Allow them, but have a little mercy and allow them to lament that and have feelings. But then, yeah, once it got down to it, if it continued, say, hey, you know, why don't we try praying more? But I think, so that's Elihu's biggest problem. He just isn't as sensitive, but he's not wrong. 
Yeah. And, uh, and he's focusing on the glory of God, which is just to keep moving here, he, he really gets into. Yeah, so he becomes more concerned with describing who God is, mm-hmm. which Job had done this in previous chapters, but Elihu is, like, again, expanding on it and going, like, look, we do not understand the ways of God. Yeah. Like, he's righteous, he's perfect, we are not. We cannot fathom how he does things. And then he, in, um, starting in 36, he starts to compare God to, like, a, a storm. And he's just saying, like, we can't fathom how storms work, how they're formed, when they're going to come, what they're going to do, where they're going to go. And it's just like God. And he begins to build this image of God as this powerful storm approaching. Do you remember where it says that exactly? Um, the idea of the storm? So he goes in verse or chapter 36. He starts in verse 26. Oh, um, God is greater than we can understand. His years cannot be counted. And then he begins to explain how storms work and like how he uses them to nourish everyone, all the peoples of the earth. And then, um, then he begins to say like how he controls the storms with filling his hands with lightning and hurls them at each target. Yeah. The thunder announces his presence and a storm announces his indignant anger. And then in 37, he's like, my heart pounds as I think of this. It trembles within me. Listen carefully to the thunder of God's voice as it rolls from his mouth. Like, he is very poetic and describing the power of God and relating yeah. it to something that we can understand, which is a storm. And he does talk about, in the storm is either judgment or salvation. Yeah. Which is like the presence of God is either, for some it's going to be judgment and scary, and for others it's going to be salvation. Like, thank God you're here. Mm-hmm. Cool. And that's 37. I mean, and he says, stop and consider creation, Job. Do you know? Do you know how all these things happen? Do you know the answer to every question? And the answer is no, I don't. So therefore, um, just be quiet. Yeah. We cannot imagine the power of the Almighty, but even though he is just and righteous, he does not destroy us, which is kind of how he ends. So then Elihu ends, Mm -hmm. and that's where Elihu ends. And what we're going to find out in uh, the next two days is Elihu is a setup man. Yeah. He's like a prophet to Job to set up the appearance of God. So you got to keep reading and stick around for the next two days to hear God's response, which I think in reading this time around, what's coming up in chapter 38 and 39 are some of the most beautiful mm. things written in the Bible. Yeah. It's just a gorgeous account of creation from the God of the universe. But that's so, coming up. Yeah. So the thing I, I want to end with Elihu is he just described God as a storm or controlling a storm. So remember that into our next portion of the reading. I do like that he's a storm because when we approach God, we just don't approach him uh, willy-nilly, to use a nice old phrase, (laughs) but we recognize it's dangerous. You know, have you ever run out in a hurricane? Yes. Yeah, and uh, you, you might not die or anything bad, but it's definitely dangerous. And when we approach God, we approach him... Um, with reverence and awe. Yeah. And, and now, of course, we know we approach him in the name of Jesus Christ, so it's much safer than what Job had going on. Um, but the Lord is a storm. Cool. All right, so now we're going to our New Testament reading. Our New Testament reading is Matthew chapter 23 through chapter 24, verse 31.
All right. So in uh, last episode's reading, we ended with the Pharisees trying to come up with these traps, these clever traps yeah. for Jesus, and Jesus oh, just, just demonstrates his authority over the law, and his understanding is greater than theirs. Yeah. And then he finally flips the tables on them and at, starts asking them questions that they cannot answer. Yeah. This whole week, this whole week leading up to his crucifixion, Jesus is letting loose. I mean, right. He's, he's trying to set everything straight. And so after all the parables we've gone through and all the, he's flipped the tables in the, in the temple and he's cursed the fig tree and he's done all this stuff. Now we get to uh, just unleashed reality. You ever get to that point, Matt, where you like just have to be Really? thoroughly honest with someone that you mm-hmm. love yes yeah it's horrible we try yeah. to put it off and i feel like jesus put it off for a long time and yeah. he's like all right in chapter 23 this is called the uh woe to the scribes and the pharisees mm. because jesus is like woe to you mm. not just like whoa slow down but like you guys are in trouble and this is straight from the mouth of the son of god yes so, so he, yeah he starts off to the scribes and the pharisees they practice and observe, um, but they do not do. So, like, mm-hmm. they say what to do, but they don't do it at all. That's where he starts off. They preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. Now, um, he's going to get into it, but you know what I've realized? I listened, I've been listening to, like, some other preachers, hmm. and, yeah, I don't do that very often, but, um, and a lot of it's really great. It's like they're good preachers, and I'm like, oh. But I found myself, uh, I realized one really popular guy I listened to, and I thought, oh, there's nothing wrong with what he's saying. It's pretty great. Mm -hmm. But then I reflected on it, and I realized he was making a lot of great uh, comparisons and statements about the Bible, but he was doing almost like a mechanical interpretation, kind of like the guys in Job Mm -hmm. and like the Pharisees, and I realized like, for instance, the idea was um, if you try to run away from God, like Joe, it's like um, Jonah. You try to run away from God, God will uh, disturb your life until you turn back. Okay. That's good, right? Okay, sure. But I realized he's saying he's putting on things that we have to do. Mm-hmm. So, so here's what we got to do to mm-hmm. never let that happen. Right. Which right. makes sense. But at the end of it, it's not good news. It's not totally gospel. It's, it's law. Mm-hmm. And so it should be followed with, you're always going to run from God and he's always going to chase you. Turn to him now. I don't know. I'm not making sense now, I don't think. No. Um, yeah. Am I making sense? Mm-hmm. Anyway, and so I just can see Jesus going, look, you guys keep putting the law and telling people what to do. You're supposed to be telling them who to look for. Right. That's it. That there's one coming to save you. And that's, that's true. the gospel. That, yes, yes, yes. And so the Pharisees practice all these things. Mm-hmm. They don't even practice. They say all these things. They don't do it because no one can do it. Right. And they neglected to tell you who to look for. And in fact, everyone who did tell you who to look for, you killed. You didn't want to hear who do we look for. You wanted to hear what do we do. Right. Because we can control that. And so woe to you. And Jesus straight up just says, you're all going to hell. Mm. Yeah. It's really, it's sobering. Right. Like in, uh, I mean, it gets really intense in uh, verse 15 where he says, what sorrow awaits you, teachers of the law. Yeah. 
and you Pharisees, hypocrites, for you cross the land and sea to make one convert, and then you turn that person into twice the child of hell you yourselves are. I know. He says, woe to you, your blind guides. If anyone, he, he says, you guys are blind. You know where the blind, when the blind lead the blind, they end up in a ditch. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you guys are totally blind. You swear by things in the temple. You actually use the temple to swear upon, mm-hmm. to give your word upon as if it has some power. When in reality, you're swearing to God. Yeah. Like you're swearing on these things of the temple, but the temple is the house of God. Like so you're making vows to God now, and then you break, you break them. Right. Um, yeah. It, you, ne- you neglect to serve others. You, you tithe, but you're not carrying out mercy or justice. Mm-hmm. You clean the outside of the cup or the plate, but inside you're full of greed and indulgence. You blind Pharisee. First clean the inside of the cup. He says you're like a whitewashed tomb. Mm-hmm. So like... You make the tombs look really pretty and clean them all off, but it's really just a place to mark what's dead inside the tomb. Yes. And so it's a really powerful, like if Jesus calls you a whitewashed tomb, he's saying, <laughs> oh, you're trying to pretty yourself up, but you are dead inside. Right. Wow. Has anyone uh, ever called you a whitewashed tomb? No. That's a shame. It's too bad people don't know their Bible well enough to even know how to <laughs> insult properly. That would be the most nasty thing. You're a whitewashed tomb, man. Uh-uh. People be like, whatever. Yeah, and then I, man, like he gets so intense because then he's like, you, you say, if we had lived in the days of our ancestors, we would never have joined them in killing the prophets. But in saying that, you testify against yourselves that you are indeed the descendants of those who murdered the prophets. Go ahead and finish what your ancestors started, snakes, sons of vipers. How will you escape the judgment of hell? So he he knows like you are trying to kill me, the son of yeah. God. You are the son, like you are the descendants of your people, of your ancestors. The seed of the serpent. Right. You have murderous intent towards the seed of the woman. That's why he calls them snakes and sons of vipers. I am the seed of the woman, right. You know, I heard um, a liberal guy once say that in John, it records Jesus saying this same thing, Mm -hmm. only even more direct. Mm -hmm. And I remember him explaining it away, saying, John, Jesus certainly didn't say that. He's too loving. And I'm reading it in Matthew, and I'm like, first of all, it's in Matthew again. And second of all, Jesus is too loving to not say this. Right. He's like trying, because he loves these yeah. guys, he's saying, you know, maybe one of them sat on their bed that night going, I don't want to be a brood of vipers. Oh, God, mm-hmm. I am not well. Mm-hmm. Because Jesus would hear their cry for help. But as it stands now, they are the ones in line with the serpent, and they are the ones who um, kill all the... In fact, he says, you... All the righteous blood shed on earth, you're responsible for that. From the blood of innocent Abel to the blood of Zechariah, whom you murdered between the sanctuary and the altar. So like you've used the temple to murder the people I've sent to you, including now the Mm -hmm. Son of God. So what's Jesus' response? He doesn't pull out a sword. He doesn't try to destroy them. He does what any good loving parent does, and he cries. Yeah, he mourns over them. There's a beautiful lament. If you don't know this one, you should learn it. At least the idea of it, the idea, he says, is, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, but you would not. See, your house is left to you desolate. For I tell you, you will not see me again until you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. 
remember in Guatemala, um, out in the farm, I saw a mother hen protecting all her babies. It was so delicate and beautiful. And I thought of this verse. And Jesus is weeping because he's opening up his wings and the chicken, the chickies are not getting under it. Right. Yeah, it is an amazing. Like, he is directly honest, and then his next follow-up is to weep over them. He came for that. He came mm-hmm. for everyone, and he's giving everyone opportunity. Mm-hmm. And their hearts are hardened because they would rather have the power that they've amassed through their knowledge or at least power over themselves. A lot of us, look, we're not Pharisees. We're not powerful people, but we do crave the power over our own minds and hearts. Mm-hmm. We are slow to turn that over. And so Jesus mourns. Mm-hmm. He's like, oh. And then he moves on to the temple. Yeah, so they leave after this exchange. And the, in my mind, the disciples, after hearing Jesus kind of go off on all this stuff yeah. and like trying to absorb everything, it's like when you've heard something, like I've, I've experienced this on the opposite end where I've, I've said something really, really honest. Yes. And then the people around me then try to like relate to what I've said, but completely miss the point of everything I've said. So Jesus is brutally honest. He says, I'm going to, the temple will be destroyed. He's been talking about his own death. He's rebuking the Pharisees. He's trying to change everything, like change everyone's minds about how everything's supposed to work. And then they're walking out and the disciples instinct is to go, Hey, look at the temple. Isn't it such a beautiful building? (laughs) Come on, Jesus. Like, it's awesome, right? Like, it's so great. I love this place. (laughs) Yeah, and he says, yeah, look at the temple. There will not be uh, left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Yeah. You just made me realize something, too, that when Jesus is outside of Jerusalem on the outskirts, right, Mm -hmm. he heals people. Right. He's exercising people from demons. Mm Mm-hmm. He's speaking their language. Since he's come to Jerusalem, he has been speaking the language of the Pharisees. Ooh, you know what I mean? Like, nice. Yeah. And so that's why, like, judgment on a poor person outside is healing. Mm-hmm. If I see Jesus heals your son, and I still got a sick son, man, that's judgment on me. If I don't go take him to Jesus, I have to right. live with a sick son knowing that I could have if I'd gone to Jesus. But no, I don't want to. But so, of course, you just go to him. The Pharisees, instead of going wow, you get the law, you compete with all of our legal experts, you make sense of it, you fulfilled it. Wow, I believe. Instead, they just hunkered down. And then Jesus responds like God, I'm really sad for you guys, because it gets even worse. The place you're protecting, the strongholds in your life, like this temple, is actually going to be thrown down. I'm destroying this temple. Mm -hmm. There is no need for the God of the universe to meet with his people in one specific place. I'm going to meet with them all over the world. And you have no idea how I'm going to do that yet. But I've been telling you, I'm going to destroy this temple. I'm going to raise it up. And then I'm going to ascend to the Father and be in your heart and in mind through the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can take over this world Mm -hmm. with light. Right. And so he tells them, Jesus becomes a great prophet here. He speaks prophetically. And we'll explain what that means once we, we say what he said. Yeah, so the disciples actually hear his response and go, wait, okay, well, then when will the temple be destroyed? Right. Uh, okay, Which, we're, I think we're hearing you. 
when will these things be? Right. Mm-hmm. So when will be the sign of your coming and the close of the age? Mm-hmm. So they're asking, when will this temple be destroyed? And when will you set up yourself as right. a temple? And we easily bring our own presuppositions to this and go, oh, he's talking about all these ideas that we've created in the last hundred years. Like, oh, he's talking about secrets and coming back. And, and, and right. we have to get that out of our head and take the text as it comes to us, honestly. Right. And he's responding to the question, what do you mean, Jesus? Because this is the only thing two witnesses will bring up. Two people heard him say this. Mm-hmm. And they'll bring it up and say, Jesus said he's going to destroy the temple. Right. So the, the Jews and the, Heredi- the, the, the Romans could say, oh, he's a terrorist. Right. He's, and um, yeah. So anyway. Yeah. So he is like, he's directly um, answering the question of when will the temple be destroyed? And again, like the return is in their minds, when will you set up your kingdom, your temple? Mm-hmm. Wh- what's your thing going to ha- look like? And when, when will we see that happen? And so when they say terms like end of the age, it means end of this time, of this right. era, not end of the world. Like I think we yes. want to quickly yes. jump to end of the world stuff. Yeah. It, he's talk- they're talking about, okay, the age of the temple's over. When will we see that happen? And when will your age of this new kingdom or this new temple begin? And that's why he says uh, there'll be people in this generation who sees it happen. Yes. And in the past, I, I always thought, well, how? They're not alive now. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's no, they're going to see, or I tried to, to make it work. So like, oh, when they resurrect or, but no, it's saying, look, some of you are going to see this happen because what we know in retrospect now is that in 70, mm-hmm. the year 70 AD, these things that Jesus talks about happen. Yeah, the temple is destroyed. It's completely destroyed. And um, there's a tribulation and lawlessness like has never been seen. The Romans siege Jerusalem. Mm-hmm. And if you read the historian Eusebius, he came around 200, somewhere 200, 230 AD. And he writes about how people in Jerusalem were forced to cannibalize their children. They were sieged. Yeah, um... So we haven't gotten to this point yet, but in Deuteronomy, there is like a full like list of curses that would happen if they break the law. Yeah. And uh, those curses come down in Jerusalem. Like we see that happen during Jerusalem. But so, yeah, Jesus goes and says like uh, there's going to be massive persecution. There's going to be many false prophets. There's going to be many people claiming to be me. Right. Um, And... Uh, there will be a lot of persecution. I think there will be... So he says there will be a time when, like, the Daniel prophesied about the destruction of this temple right. and that there would be uh, the desolation uh, that the, causes desecration, right? The abomination. So the, yeah, yeah, the abomination. The abomination of desolation. Yes. And uh, and it's here that he says, look, it's... He's describing, so what happens in the prophets, Jesus speaks prophetically, and what we mean by that is he's speaking to the original audience. There's something that's happening soon. Soon. And he's describing um, this siege of Jerusalem. And he's like, he, this is where he says, let one who is in the field not turn back to take his cloak. And alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days, uh, pray that your flight may not be in winter on the Sabbath, for then there will be great tribulation such as not been from the beginning of the world until now, and no, never will be. And if those days had been cut short, no human being would be saved. And so he's, it goes on, but 
what we would want you to understand is he's talking about a real event that's going to happen. Like, try to get out of there. Hopefully, get out of there while it's not winter. Hopefully, you're not nursing a mm-hmm. child. Um, and his history has told us that 70 AD is when that happened. Yeah, so the this temple is destroyed. Uh, Jerusalem is sieged. And then the um, preceding persecution from Rome on Christianity right. is so intense. Like, I was reading a lot of, like, history on yeah. that. And, and they're like, if it hadn't been cut short, like, there wouldn't have been a Christian left alive. Right. Like, there were, like, it would go in, like, two-year spurts of intense persecution, and then they would have a couple years off. And, and that's then, what Eusebius writes about uh, Tacitus, Domitian, like, these different ru- Roman emperors who tried to wipe out Christianity. Mm-hmm. And so after a couple hundred years of Christianity, it's the blood of the martyrs becomes the seed of the church. Yes. And, um, and Jesus describes this here. Now, we immediately take it to the end of the world right. when all things are destroying, and so it becomes more confusing. But, uh, but don't be confused. He gets clear about, for as far as we're concerned, mm-hmm. this prophecy is, the, the, the main part of it is where he says, uh, don't follow other people right. who claim to be Christ. Mm-hmm. See, for us, there's going to be other people who are always say, claiming to save. And he's, he's saying quite clearly, um, you will know when I come back. Right. There's going to be no doubt. For as the lightning comes from the east and shines as far as the west, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Mm-hmm. In fact, he even says, um, they'll appear in heaven the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on clouds of heaven with great power and great glory. So if you're not a Christian, when Jesus comes back, he's coming back in his full divinity. Right. He came the first time in full humanity, and then we saw bits of his divinity as he healed and on the Mount of Transfiguration, and then eventually in his resurrection. Now he's operating out of his divinity. And so when he comes back, it's not as a little baby in a manger. It is as a king on a throne, and all the nations will look to him, and you will either mourn because you have rejected him, and you're like, oh, no. Right. Or you just still hate him. Yeah. And I don't want you. Or you'll be like us, and you'll go, hallelujah, praise Jesus. Mm -hmm. It is happening. Thank God. And he will send out his angels, and with a loud trumpet call, they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So the angels will gather up the wheat. Right. Prepare the earth and then put us back down. Like, mm-hmm. and then, anyway, so um, this is, Jesus is being very clear to his disciples and anyone who can hear that he is the, the divine Messiah. He's going to not set up shop in the temple. Right. But he's going to come back and rule the entire earth. Yeah. That's the point here. And so be ready for the kingdoms of the world to put up a fight. Yeah. And he's like, be ready. Yeah. And I'm sorry you're going to have to live through that, but I was persecuted first. They killed me. They'll hate you. So when we suffer persecution, we have to know that we are under the reign of Christ and that his kingdom is going to be established and we will rejoice at his return. Cool. All right. That's a lot. That is a lot. You guys did it, though. You hung in there with us. Now we're going to Psalm 18, chapter 18, verse 25 through verse 36. So 18 is still a continuation of David's song to the Lord, praising him for rescuing him from Saul. To the faithful you show yourself faithful, 
To those with integrity, you show integrity. To the pure, you show yourself pure. But to the wicked, you show yourself hostile. You rescue the humble, but you humiliate the proud. You light a lamp for me. The Lord my God lights up my darkness. In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. That's beautiful, man. I, it's really cool how that even lines up with his the reading with the New Testament and how to the humble, he's, he's humble, but to the wicked, he shows he is hostile. To the wicked Pharisees, he has, like, out of love, you have to rebuke them. Right. He has to. Or else they'll either continue in their way. Like, it's the only way to try to save them. Yeah. It's the most loving. Well, and the call to us from the Proverbs today in chapter 4, I really liked verse 9. It's talking about wisdom, like personifying wisdom. Mm -hmm. She will... Prize her highly and she will exalt you. She will honor you if you embrace her. She will place on your head a graceful garland. She will bestow on you a beautiful crown. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. See you next time.